0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and this week, I want to talk about something that I think has been top of mind for a lot of us, and that includes me. Uh, For me, you know, about two weeks ago, the little tiny town I live in in upstate New York, which is supposed to be a climate haven, had heat advisories, air quality advisories, and significant flooding all within about three days, and that's just my little tiny town. And in July, there's also studies published by some of the world's leading climate experts saying that not only was July on track to be the hottest month ever on record within the span of the human species on record so far, but that we had this expectation that that trend is gonna continue, that we're gonna keep breaking records that honestly nobody wants to be breaking. There is a clear scientific consensus that unstable climate is here that that future that so many of us have been hearing about for most of our lifespan it's now which leaves us individually and collectively with the reality of coping with that fact now you might hear it called climate anxiety climate distress it's also called eco anxiety i've done episodes before on the beneficial effects of nature on mental health and essentially this is that that relationship goes both ways. And it makes sense to me that on the individual level, if somebody is living in a place that is polluted, dangerous, resource scarce, that those people are gonna struggle to thrive, right? On the micro, but climate change happens in the macro. It's bigger than cleaning up a polluted river or picking up some trash. And that fact that it's bigger than our local space can be really overwhelming. So on this week's episode, I want to dive into the current research, the current understanding of what of climate anxiety, not only what it is and how to cope with it, but also why climate anxiety in some ways might be necessary and maybe even be helpful to us. And I want to throw out there the heads up, We're going to talk about mental health challenges, depression, anxiety, self-harm. And we're also going to talk about how some of these difficult emotions can actually be helpful, maybe even necessary. But I want you to choose your own adventure when it comes to your well-being, knowing what you're going to be listening to. We're also going to talk about conscious and intentional choices around media. So there's a lot in this episode to explore, but I want you to be in the right headspace to explore it with me. So let's start by getting clear about what it is we're actually talking about and the full scope of what we're talking about. So the American Psychological Association refers to eco-anxiety as, quote, chronic fear of environmental doom, which like, side note, every time I read that sentence, i just like, oh. So... Again, we'll get back to the quote here. Chronic fear of environmental doom ranging from mild stress to clinical disorders like depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, and suicide, and maladaptive coping strategies such as intimate partner violence and substance misuse, end quote. Now, you might think some of that definition sounds a bit extreme, like the linking of climate change to intimate partner violence, but one thing we're going to talk about in this episode is maladaptive coping and violence is one way that people cope and so we don't want to dismiss it lightly that the american psychological association is recognizing that if the existential threat gets hard enough that people are going to react in some destructive ways so let's continue to look at this definition let's really lay the groundwork which is one of the first things that we're going to talk about when dealing with any kind of challenging emotion but if we're talking about specifically in the climate context we've got to be honest about what we're dealing with so let's be honest about climate anxiety the handbook of climate psychology defines climate anxiety as quote a heightened emotional mental or somatic distress in response to dangerous changes in the climate system end quote so we've got this heightened emotion mental and then somatic distress refers to physical symptoms, right? That we might have such extreme, intense reactions that we start to get physically unwell. But they also suggest the handbook of of climate psychology also suggests that paying heed to what is happening is healthier response than turning away in denial or disavow, end quote. So we got to face it. If we're going to change it, right? We've got to accept what's happening, be honest with ourselves, And also, you don't want to stare into the sun so long that you burn your eyes. We've got to cope and build resilience so that we can do something about it. And I really want to highlight something about what this statement here, that it's a healthier response than turning away in denial or disavow. This is going to come up as we move through this episode multiple times. That turning away, denying it, minimizing it is actually the unhealthy thing. Having a negative reaction to something intense and extreme isn't necessarily bad. So they also say in the handbook of climate psychology that climate anxiety can lead to panic attacks, loss of appetite, irritability, weakness, sleeplessness, right? All of these physical symptoms that we can associate with anxiety, right? We want to call a spade a spade. And there's one research team, uh, Chianconi and at all so that's an Italian team found that you know there are com- also complex types of climate anxiety where the anxiety and the trauma including intergenerational effects especially come up when we're talking about environmental damage that causes people to lose their culture or their way of life so it's not just individual it's collective it's existential right that's why it's bigger than like picking up trash on the side of the road So given all those factors, right, this quote from the uh, climate psychology alignments, we need to pay heed to what is happening. So the climate psychology alliance, which is a group of psychological practitioners who are coming together to recognize this effects of climate change on human beings, they suggest not trying to rid ourselves of our climate anxiety, that we don't turn away, right, not going to deny, no disavow, but instead, quote, support individuals and communities to build strong containers that allow the expression and exploration of their emotions without collapsing under it or turning away, end quote. So essentially, what we're saying in this, this first section, where we're just trying to like, let's recognize what we're dealing with his, here, is that the conventional psychological wisdom, these multiple institutions, the American Psychological Association says, Climate anxiety is not mental illness. It is an appropriate response. The challenge is how we deal with it, and that's what this episode is really about. So you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and today we are talking about how do we cope with climate anxiety. So let's back up for a second, and let's look at this. Why is it an appropriate response? Now, there's a previous episode of this show called Emotions or Information, where we look at this idea that what if your emotional state, what if the somatic feedback you're getting from your body is actually information about your state as a person? So feelings are in our nervous system. They're trying to tell us something. So what is anxiety? Well, the way I boil it down for my clients is anxiety is the fear of an uncertain future. And let's look at the the science of anxiety a bit closer because that little snippet sentence doesn't give us the full picture that we're going to want if we're going to talk about this in an earnest way. So uh, psychology breaks down anxiety into two kinds. The first is called pathological anxiety, right? It's pathology. And essentially it's anxiety that makes you react like, you're being persecuted. It's a fear of annihilation. The world doesn't make any sense. So you start to deny your reality. You detach pathologically and you engage in this cognitive dissonance where like the world doesn't make sense. So you just reject the world. And that feeling of like, otherwise just, I am going to be over. There's no self. Um, so that's type one, type two anxiety, the second kind is based in loss, in fear, and grief, but you don't detach from reality, you cope. And maybe you cope in ways that aren't necessarily helpful, right? Like being self-critical, being negative, maybe you lash out at things, you become emotionally reactive. And the way, one of my favorite phrases for this type of reaction is saying that, you know, you think somebody is, gonna, is going from zero to 60, right? Like something happens, you stub your toe and you start crying, right? Oh, that person went from zero to 60. So one of my favorite quotes about this is, when you think that someone is going from zero to 60, they were actually at 59, right? So that kind of anxiety where you're really reactive is that you're already overstimulated, you're already afraid, you're already anxious, and then something happens and it's just straw that broke the camel's back, right? So that's the type of anxiety we're talking about. And this summer, it has seemed to me like everyone is just on edge, You know, even my own doctor told me that the people that work in the doctor's office are struggling to cope with the number of people who are coming in just kind of having breakdowns. So the staff is starting to struggle with their own mental health because there's so many people coming in having mental health crisis. Um, You know, another example that comes to mind for me as I was preparing the show is there was just a report that violence on the New York City subway is through the roof and there've been a 60% increase in knife violations. So people who are carrying knives on the subway. Now we might look at that and think like, Oh, these are bad actors, right? These are people who are already violent. But the way that I interpret it is that is just a higher percentage of people who are afraid, who are genuinely afraid to get on the subway. So they want to be ready to defend themselves. That is fear of uncertainty. That is anxiety. And so mirroring that right recognizing that climate anxiety is going to start to take these shapes that general anxiety would the climate psychology alliance outlines two forms specifically to the ways that climate anxiety shows up so the first is these apocalyptic fears right the pathology thing that i was just talking about so this is the fears of death of annihilation that we're going to go extinct and the second Are these really complicated feelings around loss and grief, dependency, guilt for where we are and that we haven't made change already and fear about the things that are to come. So this is going to show up in a variety of ways and it's interesting enough for me researching this episode it showed like it's coming up in terms that I hadn't actually heard before in all of the psychology literature that I have read pre-traumatic stress oof like that 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 is now like in my vernacular um anticipatory mourning right a grief for something that hasn't happened yet and then this this is a new one for me too soul nostalgia it's derived from the word nostalgia and it's a form of homesickness that we get for the environment having changed so we're still in the environment but we're longing for the environment we used to have. For the climate we used to have. Soul nostalgia. So the American, excuse me, the Climate Psychology Association frames out these two reactions. That the apocalyptic fears, okay, that, hey, that's pathology. But these more complex feelings of loss and grief and fear and guilt and shame that we're, so many of us are having now. And so you start to have these feelings, you start to have these emotions come up. And obviously, people are going to react in different ways. So the Climate Psychology Alliance shares these, these ideas of how people might react to these complex and intense emotions. So some people are going to have straight up denial, right? We all know the people who say, it's not made, it's not real, it's not happening. Um, that's a coping mechanism, right? They're hearing the information. They're seeing the weather outside. They're going, yeah, yeah, but people didn't do it because they can't accept that. The next one's scapegoating, right? Let's blame the billionaires, right? But like we're all still driving around in our gas cars, right? And I'm not, this episode is not about the causes. This episode is about how we deal with it. So we just, you know, we'll put a pin in that that thought. So there's intellectualizing the problem. There's I'm going to think about it instead of feeling my emotions. There's intentional environmental destruction. I know this has been a thing that I've experienced in my area that I live in where you're going to mock the people who are trying to make change. Uh, and a, a very concrete example of this is something called Roland coal. Uh, if you've never heard of that, it's modifying one's like big gas guzzler truck, uh, modifying the exhaust so that when you really slam on the gas, it just dumps a bunch of black smoke. It's been made illegal in a couple of places because some people were actually arrested for assault. They were intentionally doing it um, to people to make them sick. And that's a reaction, right, to feeling uncomfortable with this information. There's hopelessness. People feel like it's so big and nothing we're gonna do is gonna work, so why even try? And there's all different kinds of manic responses, right? There's people who go like full hedonism and they detach and cope, and then there's people who are like manic about driving their climate activism and kind of everything in between. And we're all gonna have a mix, right? But these are some examples about ineffective coping but this episode is about effective coping. What might effective coping look like? If we take that emotions or information model, what's it trying to tell us? And How can we use that information to be effective? Okay, so what might be the anxiety be trying to tell us? Maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but this is a big, scary problem. And to really amplify here, this message that I want to normalize, it's, I'm going to talk about it quite a bit. Climate anxiety isn't considered a mental health problem in and it of itself. It's actually considered an appropriate response to major overwhelming stressors. And in fact, it might even be a necessary response. Our challenging emotions are actually necess- a necessary adaptation. So take... Fear, for an example, when you're afraid, the only thing that you can focus on is the problem, and that's actually an advantage if there is a threat. So, if you know anything about fight or flight, right? Your fight or flight response, um, the upregulation of your nervous system, it is an adaptive response. So, your adrenaline spikes, you have more free floating blood sugar, your heart rate accelerates. That's a good thing. You want fight or flight if it's time to fight. <laughs> So we need to be anxious about a problem to get uncomfortable enough to motivate change. And we definitely need change. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. And today we are talking about coping with climate anxiety. How do we cope? So we need change. The problem comes when we are uncomfortable and we ignore that information part. So then we're coping ineffectively. or the challenge comes and we can't regulate ourselves enough to be effective. We can't cope in healthy ways that help us move to a solution. That's when coping becomes a problem. That's when climate anxiety becomes a problem. We can't cope effectively. Because different people are going to react in different ways. Obviously, some people are going to take the denial, denial route. Some people are going to be anger, frustration. Some others will be blindly optimistic it's all going to work out somehow. I know some pretty famous psychologists who if you ask them about climate, they'll go, I just believe that much in human ingenuity. It's going to work out just fine. And when I hear them say that, I have a hard time with it. Because I think some of those reactions are not very helpful, right? Denial is not very helpful in the face of a very real problem. Anger, frustration, that can be helpful because it can be very motivating. And we all have coping strategies that we develop for dealing with being overwhelmed and uncomfortable. The trick is that we want those coping strategies to be effective in the right ways. We want to regulate stress so that we can find solutions, not necessarily cope by like detachment and numbing out and disregarding the problem. So too much stress, we're stuck in panic We get stuck in freeze, we dissociate, we deny reality, too little stress, we're under motivated. We don't actually work through what's wrong. And, And that's a problem in my opinion. So we all have to go out in the world and keep living our lives. We can't just fold up like a card table. That's not actually gonna help. So what we need is ways to identify the problem, own it, process our emotions, and then look for solutions. That's the recipe for effective coping. So the first, you got to feel your feelings. Denying the feelings is dissociating from it. It's dissociating from the feelings that something important is being threatened, that something important is going on. And essentially, in my opinion, that is gaslighting yourself. So you got to feel your feels. I think one of the most powerful things that you could do in that moment that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm having some anxiety about what's happening in the climate share those feelings. Not only does it give you a bond with others and an opportunity to process your feelings, it also normalizes that discomfort within your social circles. People need to know that climate anxiety is real and it's okay and it's even appropriate, which is why I'm doing this episode. I've been feeling it too. That put me down the rabbit hole that caused this episode to exist. For weeks, it's either been extraordinarily hot, wildfire smoke, or really violent thunderstorms where I live, which means that I can't go outside to do all the things that I love to do. And also that helped me deal with my cyclical depression. I have watched some of the local wildlife be negatively impacted by the smoke. It's been really hard sometimes um, in some really scarring ways and some really traumatic ways for me. Um, it's difficult as someone who loves the outdoors to see it damaged in this way and wonder if it can ever recover. And then to question as a coach, as a practitioner, as a positive psychology person, if people even want to listen to this and doubting my own role in helping people find solutions to this overwhelming set of problems. But when we share, just like I am sharing right now, we normalize the reaction of anxiety to climate change and we start to process what's happening together and according to research at harvard university about 60 percent of young adults so this is age 16 to 25 are extremely worried about climate crisis and that might sound like a like oh extremely worried like it's not a big deal um in psychology research you know you're on a five point scale extreme typically indicates a five out of five So 60% of young adults are a five out of five concerned about this. And just to backtrack one, one second, research into climate anxiety isn't new. It's been going on for at least 20 years. So 20 years of research setting the platform of information that is based off of what I'm sharing with you right now and is based on the research that's being done right now to give us effective strategies. So what do we do about it? Again, it's not a mental illness. It is a form of stress that we want to manage. So once you have felt the intense feelings, you recognize, oh, I'm having climate anxiety, go off and share it with somebody, own it, process it together. Now we want to talk about doing something about it. The first recommendation coming out of Harvard is to live in alignment with your values, which means taking the time to really identify what those values are, educating yourself, About the climate crisis, coming to really understand the information so that you can make intentional choices about your value system and your beliefs. So then you can take aligned action. So let me get just a little bit more specific about what that might look like, since it might seem vague if you're not already there. Some people might value personal responsibility and use their resources differently, right? You might no longer buy fast fashion under the recognition that it's resource intensive, it's consumerist, it's just not great, right? Other people might see those smaller personal action as actually having less meaning and value. So they might choose to use their time and resources to engage in larger scale action, right? Like volunteering for a climate action lobbying group, right? Big scale, little scale, but that's going to be based off of your own values, or maybe you do both. But it all comes down to taking the time to learn about the climate asking yourself questions about your own values, and then being intentional with your actions. There is also some research that shows that collective action, action that we do with others, is more effective in climate anxiety coping than just individual action. So this is like joining local support groups, taking local action with a community group. Um, And I have a very tangible example of this in my own life. Um, Montpelier, Vermont, which is the capital of Vermont, which I have had the the wonderful experience of spending a fair amount of time with Uh, Montpelier, Vermont in the month of July experienced historic flooding. And one of my best friends lives in Montpelier and on her birthday is when the dam nearly breached and all of downtown Montpelier was evacuated. She lives downtown. And if you've never been to Montpelier, Vermont, it's a beautiful city and it's a really unique city. It's the smallest capital in the union, but they actually still have a unique genuine thriving downtown so main street and state street in montpelier all of the streets are lined with these locally owned businesses that are owned and operated by people in that area and that's what got flooded so not just homes but also businesses and you think if you've never been in this kind of flooding you think like oh the water recedes and then you clean up and then you go on with your life but in actuality this kind of flooding comes with a layer of toxic silt dirt that's full of chemicals and human waste. And that all has to get cleaned out. And then they have to bring in these big blowers that like dry everything out, these massive industrial dehumidifiers, it takes weeks. And if you don't get everything dried out, mold grows. Then you have to clean out all of the damaged materials and rebuild everything before those businesses could move back in. It's gonna take months. And my friend, had this happen to her town, her city on her birthday. And obviously that's going to come with a lot of really intense, complicated, sad, terrifying emotions. She and her household are okay, but what are you going to do with all that intense emotion? Well, last Friday, she spent three hours volunteering, clearing that toxic muck off of a playground and So what they have to do is shovel all of this muck off and the top layer of soil, bring in fresh soil and then grow grass on top of it before the kids can play there safely again. And that's what she chose to spend her time with, collective action. And come to find out, working alongside of her was the Vermont Secretary of State, her name is Sarah. And so she was there with my friend, cleaning up the toxic gunk because that's what you do with these intense emotions. This is what we mean by collective action. And depending on your values might be the scale of that. So share your anxieties with others. Engage in collective action. Um, So that's the collective action piece. The second recommendation out of Harvard is sharing your anxieties with other people that you trust. So finding friends and family and talking to them. We've already talked about that quite a bit. So what I want to talk about now is actually flipping that the other way. So what do you do when someone else shares their climate anxiety with you? What do you do when the friend comes and goes, oh, I just can't deal with another day of wildfire smoke. I need to go for a walk and I can't because, oh my God. If someone shares their anxiety with you, I want to give you some helpful communication skills that can make that exchange more helpful. So first, validate their concerns and their emotional responses so when my friend from Montpelier tells me about how hard it was I'm gonna say things like yeah that sounds really overwhelming and I'm so sorry you had to go through that I'm so glad that you're okay the second help them come up with specific actions they can take so yeah it sounds really overwhelming that you're feeling that way what what might be helpful and helping them come up with their version of their Uh, collective action supporting those actions even if you have different values than them you're going to support their actions because that's part of how we validate one another they might draw different conclusions but the fourth thing that you can do share resources share information share ideas oh you heard that i heard this let's go look up some good information together okay this is what i think i'm going to do what do you think you're going to do Right, so there's been a, a big conversation about effective recycling <laughs> in my uh, one of my social circles because we've been sharing information about okay, well, is that actually work like that, or should we do it like this? Um, PFA mitigation, right? There's all kinds of ways that this is going to show up in our lives as we move through it together. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host Darlene Marshall, and we're talking about how do we effectively cope with climate anxiety as individuals and collectively. And I know there's a lot of coaches and trainers and practitioners who listen to this show, which is partly why we want to recognize our clients are going to bring this up. And that line, part of why I'm harping on this line of like, it's not pathology is, you know, when it starts to be detrimental to the point that someone is having trouble going to work, getting out of bed, functioning in their day-to-day lives, we want to refer out. But there is some non-pathological, non-clinical uh, climate anxiety that we can help our clients through. So there's also two important details from the research that I wanna point out. The first is people with high anxiety towards climate crisis who choose the collective action path, who go out and engage in these collective groups, who try you know, engaging in lobbying or volunteering, they do tend to burn out more quickly And that's partly because they're looking at this problem more directly. So that doesn't mean don't engage in climate action, because it will actually likely help with your anxiety. What it does mean is balancing it with self-care, with being intentional, going for walks, meditating, exercising, eating well, because all of those self-care activities actually build up your resilience to the coming stress. They make us more effective, and we're all going to need that. We're all going to need more resilience. Um, one of the ways I like to sum this up is you got to stay strong if you want to fight. So we're all gonna need to invest in those effective coping, self-care, balancing, burnout resilience skills. So that's number one. Number two, very clear in the research. Turn off the news. Doom scrolling, watching 24-hour news channels, just mainlining the news feed chips away at your resilience and your balance intentionally cultivate your media feeds um, those of you who've been soaking up a lot of disaster content you're going to tend to have a more severe negative mental health response than the people who regulate and cultivate so learning to recognize you know what i just gotta back away from that 24-hour news feeds because it's not going to help put bumpers on your bowling alley don't look at the news right before you go to bed Maybe don't look at the news after a certain time every day, just so it doesn't disrupt your balance, your self-care. The goal of any intervention to climate anxiety is going to be to limit hopelessness. Let's talk about hopelessness for a second. Hopelessness is dangerously powerful in our emotional landscape it's linked to depression to harming behaviors to substance abuse to other negative mental health outcomes so what's the solution to hopelessness this is going to feel painfully obvious it's hope the challenge uh, is that people think of hope like an emotional state but actually hopefulness is like any other aspect of emotional intelligence a skill that we can cultivate just like gratitude just like your gratitude practices, your appreciation, you can cultivate hope with intentionality to combat your negativity bias. So once you've accepted your circumstances, you have felt your feelings, you've shared with some people, you're gonna to wanna to ask yourself, what can I hope for now? And this is gonna be based in those values that hopefully you've already worked on if you've been taking notes on this episode. Now, personally, I find my hope in Gen Z, The young adults that I know, they are so well-informed about the climate. They're clever. They're pragmatic. They don't take anybody's garbage from nobody. Uh, I saw a video the other day on this young climate activist who was at some kind of forum with the White House press secretary. The White House press secretary is what I'm trying to say. Um, And this young woman stands up and interrupts the White House press secretary, and her voice is shaking, but she was going to be heard. And to me, having that hope in that next generation means that my job is to help them remain as resilient and support them as I could possibly do to take good care of themselves and their wellness and their well being. Right. I want to empower as many of those rising young adults with as much skill as possible to keep that resilience growing because I believe in them so much. So we take this method, this thing I'm describing right now, out of a process called regoling. And something to know about regoling is it comes out of um, clinical care for children with terminal illnesses. The regoling process is taught to their parents to help them cope, right? So you've got terminally ill children and regoling is how you help their parents deal with it. And so in regoling, You start with accepting the reality that you find yourself in completely. You feel your feelings, which if you wanna dive really deep into this, I want you to go back and listen to the episode on Pragmatic Optimism. Once you've accepted your reality, you have felt your feelings, you, you look at your values, you look at what matters to you and you ask yourself, what can we hope for now? For you, your family, your community, your beliefs. And whatever that answer is, where you find hope in what matters in your beliefs, you act on it. You come up with tangible, specific actions that you can take. That is the benefit of uncomfortable emotions. They show us what we need to know so that we can do something about it. And then we got to live it, right? That's the choice that takes us away from dissonance and rejection. And then you'll know, no matter what happens, you did the best you could with intentionality and alignment. So what I hope you take away from this episode is keep learning, keep growing, keep connecting and do it together because we're going to need to do it together. If we're going to turn this all around, no one person is going to solve this. So we've got to do it together. Whew. Okay. That's a ride. Do you want to more effectively help people make sustainable change? Do you want people to help people be resilient, to build well being, to build the habits of wellness, to help them find balance and burnout, resilience, and self care? Well, if those are all things that you would like some information on, I strongly suggest that you take a look at NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine's certified wellness coaching course. Uh, NASM is the producer of this show. And I was fortunate enough to be a subject matter expert contributing to Certified Wellness Coach. I'm very proud of the work we did. I think it's a very robust and well-balanced and evidence-based, right? We love science on this show, uh, course. And listeners of this show get an additional $600 off with the code Marshall CWC that's M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C for $600 a checkout. If you want to check out the course, go to nasm.org. You can click wellness at the top and there's all kinds of resources on like what does a wellness coach do, resources about wellness coaching, um, tips and tools and tricks and things. So go ahead and check that out nasm.org. Click on wellness at the top. The code is Marshall CWC at checkout. Uh, the other thing that you might be interested in, if you are interested in this and any of our episodes, is the More Better Substack, where you could go over to betterthanfindthatsubstack.com and there you will find uh, additional practices, resources, workbooks, bonus episodes, all kinds of things. Today I uploaded a bunch of lock screens for your phone with inspirational statements, things I've said on the show, things I say to clients uh, to give you that little drip of the boost. That you might need to keep going after listening to this episode um so you can check that out it's better than find.substack.com and of course we would love to hear your feedback so if you want to drop me an email the in my email address you can reach me at info@darlene.coach. my instagram is also darlene.coach i'm now on threads and you can find me on linkedin if you're a fan of the show i hope you've already subscribed thank you to everyone who's been writing us reviews. It's one of the most effective ways we can game the algorithm. Of course, if it's affected you positively, I do hope that you'll go out and share the show. Tag me on your socials. Thank you. Take care of yourselves and be well.